Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. Everyone have a good week, hopefully. A couple of important things. Uh, One, uh, this week, of course, is an election day. Uh, I will uh, not tell you how to vote, but I will tell you you should vote. Uh, Because I I think it's our responsibility as citizens and as Christian citizens uh, to go and vote if you have not done that. Uh, This week is also uh, Veterans Day. And um, I would like for anyone who was a veteran who served uh, our our country, um, especially during during wartime uh, and everything, but if you have served our country, would you stand for a minute and remain standing if you're a a veteran? Okay. Okay. Would you show your appreciation to these here? Thank, thank you. Because of people being willing to do what they did, we have freedoms to do what we're doing this morning uh, also. So we, uh, we greatly appreciate uh, that. We started a, a series entitled The Bible Doesn't uh, Say That. And the reason we're uh, exploring some things that people believe the Bible says is that there are a lot of misconceptions out there that people have. Uh, there are certain phrases that we'll hear all the time that people will kindly uh, throw out uh, as though it's absolute truth. But then when you start looking in the Bible to find out, is that really what the Bible says, we'll discover that, that is, what they have just said is not really absolute truth. As, as I mentioned last week, uh, part of the important reason to kind of deal with issues like this, uh, one, is that the person who has the misconception themselves uh, is kind of being misled. But when they are so convinced that it's absolute truth and they continue to restate it and say it around other people, then people who do not know any better and they don't know what the Bible has to really say, uh, they start believing those things are absolutely true uh, in, in the Bible. Uh, so our, our second installment of that, our second phrase that we're going to look at today uh, that people tend to have a huge misconception about <clears throat> is this one. Uh, obedience always, focus on the word always, uh, obedience always leads to financial blessing. Uh, you would not have to shift around on your channels too much if you're watching TV to start uh, going and, and finding someone that's maybe doing a worship service on television, a Bible study on television. Before long, you will find someone that is of the mindset that they are presenting to the people who are listening to them that if you'll just do what God wants you to do, especially in terms of sending them money, if you'll just do what God wants you to do, then you are guaranteed to receive financial blessing. Uh, they may allude to it with phrases like, well, if you will sow a seed of faith with our ministry by sending money to us, uh, then a guaranteed financial blessing will take place. Well, it probably will, but it won't be you. It'll be them, you know, where they receive a guaranteed financial blessing. Uh, there's a, 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 an ideology uh, within some Christian circles. Uh, they teach something called the prosperity gospel, or some people call it the health and wealth gospel, to where it more or less says this. If, if you're right with God... If you're doing everything God wants you to, then you're going to have plenty of money. Uh, you're going to have plenty of health, and, and everything's just going to go wonderful uh, for you. Uh, you'll have the nicest car in the world to drive, the nicest house to live in. You'll have a huge bank account. If you're just obeying God, they will say that that obedience always leads, and that's why I want you to focus on the word always, always leads to financial blessing. See, the word always is a very important thing uh, because God can bless you because of your obedience, amen? He can even bless you financially if he so desires to bless you financially because of your obedience. 
But there is not anything in the Bible that says it's guaranteed 100% mathematical spiritual formula that God will financially bless you as long as you're obeying him as you should. But, but a lot of people believe that. There, there are several characters in the Bible we could look at today that would disprove it. We, we could look at Job. Uh, we could look at the disciples themselves who died martyrs' deaths because they were serving Christ and, and they, were, they were following the gospel and doing what God told them to do and trying to be obedient to him. A lot of characters we could look at, but, but I thought we could just choose one today. And, and by looking at this one uh, biblical character, we ought to be able to decide that this statement, obedience always leads to financial blessings, is not always right. And that's your life, the life of the Apostle Paul. And we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4. said verse 10 through 20. We're not really doing that. We're just going through verse 13 uh, is what we're doing uh, this morning, down through verse 13. And uh, so it's kind of a shorter text. There will be a lot of word studies involved in things. But I hope up front we can all agree to this. Would you not be in agreement that the apostle Paul was an obedient Christian? Would you not be in agreement that because God used him to write more of the New Testament than anybody else and used him to plant churches all over Asia Minor, by the way, these books in the New Testament we call epistles or letters written to those churches, would you not agree that he was very faithful in serving God and going all over the place planting these churches? So if, if this adage that people try and hold to is true, obedience always leads to financial blessing then the Apostle Paul would have been the richest guy on the planet. Amen? But that's not what we find from his experience as we look at, at what the Bible really has to say. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then a verse that a lot of you may really, really love. It used to be my my wife's favorite verse. She's not with us today, so remember her in prayer. She's got a sinus infection at home. Uh, pray for me that I can think what I'm supposed to say. She coughed all night long <laughs> and, uh, and, and all. Uh, but this used to be her favorite verse. She has several, but this is one that even when we were dating, uh, which was years ago, uh, she said was one of her favorite verses in the Bible. I can do all things through him, some translations say through Christ, who strengthens me. As we look at these verses, I think we can, we can discover some pretty strong evidence that it's a doctrinal error to say absolutely always for sure, if you obey God, it's going to lead to financial blessing. If you're following along in the notes and the updates that we gave you, here's your first uh, set of blanks. We, we can rejoice. And, and the reason I will point this out to begin with, before we go any further, I want to point out that God does meet our needs many times. Amen. We can rejoice during times of need when God meets those needs. Not a guarantee that it'll always happen. Not a guarantee that you'll always receive financial blessing. That's the way people try to put it in the prosperity gospel. But there will be times that God meets our needs. Paul said this, I I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length he revived your concern for me. Now, some of the words that he uses there, he he says, I rejoice, I'm I'm cheerful, I'm calmly happy. Now, think about that. Being calmly happy doesn't mean the situation is calm. It doesn't mean what you're going through is calm. That what you're facing in your life is an easy situation at all. But he said, I can be calmly happy, well off. I, I can be glad, I can rejoice in the Lord. The word in there, we read that in English and we just kind of buzz by it, but the word that's used in the Greek here is a word that means in a fixed position. He said it it denotes a fixed position. So Paul is saying, I I can rejoice, I can be calm even in uncalm situations if I'm rejoicing in a fixed position in the Lord. Do you see the difference there? 
He's not saying I'm rejoicing in a fixed position because of my circumstances. We'll deal with these circumstances in life that that Paul talks about here in a few minutes. But he's saying that that I, in a fixed position, can rejoice because I'm rejoicing in the Lord. He's the one that's in control. He's the one that's supreme. And and he says, I'm rejoicing in the Lord greatly. And and we get our word mega or, or, or megas from it, or, you know, it means huge or big. So Paul's saying, I can really, really, really rejoice in God in a, in a very big way, in a huge way, because he's resting in God. He's resting in the Lord, not his circumstances. He, he said, I, I, I rejoice that now you've renewed your concern for me. In other words, Paul's saying that the Philippian believers have come to a point after maybe some period of time that he wasn't sure if they were thinking about him. He says, you've come to a point that you're exercising your mind. You're entertaining sentiment about me. I, I'm on your mind. You, you've got this mental disposition. You're interested in yourself or being concerned uh, with me. The root word that it's built from refers to the midriff. And, and for you to understand that, in, in the Hebrew Jewish way of thought, they, they dealt with things different. Where we might say, uh, my, I, I have feelings in my heart for you. And that's where we think of our emotions coming from, from our heart. In the Jewish way of thinking, they would talk about the midsection. Uh, even the bowels is what they would talk about. Now, let me qualify that for a minute. Listen up, young guys. If you're trying to date a girl and trying to talk her into going out with you, don't go up to her and say, my bowels are yearning for you. <laughs> May not go that well, you know, unless she's Jewish and then she might figure it out and understand what you're talking about. But, but what they're saying is the same thing that we would say that, you know, my, my heart is, is, is yearning for you. So, so he's thrilled right now at this point that he understands that the Philippians, after there'd been this length of time, that the Philippians now have revived or renewed their concern for him. And he's saying that, that he's rejoicing greatly in the Lord because of that. Well, why would he say I'm rejoicing in the Lord when he's saying, well, the Philippians, you've renewed your concern for me? I think here's why. Paul realized that ultimately the reason the Philippians were thinking about him again and trying to reach out to him and trying to minister to him was this, is because the Lord put it upon their heart. Amen? That's why we need to put our thanks in the right direction. It's wonderful when somebody blesses us. It's, it's wonderful when, you know, when someone uh, meets our need and helps us in some way. Uh, I, I want to thank you for Daryl. He's upstairs. John's gone today, but I want to thank you guys for the pastor appreciation. And we were blown away with the, with the gift that you gave us, and we divided equally between the, the three of us. And it you know, looked uh, pretty evident that you didn't take it away from the offering that you normally give to the church. So I want to thank you for that and, uh, and all. Uh, Daryl was really thankful for because he's hadn't put in a new heat pump last week. So it kind of came at a, at a good time for him. But, but you see, while I'm thankful for you, I'm more thankful for the Lord because in my mind, the Lord is the one that put it upon your heart to do that. That makes sense? And that's the way we ought to view things. We ought to, we ought to place our thanksgiving with the Lord. And that's what he's doing here with these, with these Philippian uh, believers because they are now thinking of him. And we too ought to do the same thing. We ought to rejoice during the times that our needs are met. When God maybe moves upon someone's heart and God meets needs that we have in our life, we we ought to rejoice about that. But what about times when our needs aren't being met? Does that mean that somehow we've not been as obedient to God as we should be? Because our needs aren't being met. It can mean that, but but is it guaranteed to mean that? Does it mean, if your needs aren't being met, that God somehow has forgotten about you? You see, I think in our, in our humanity, in, in, in our minds, in our, in our flesh, if, if a person buys into this mentality that obeying God always leads to financial blessing, when it doesn't happen, we're prone to do a couple of things. We're prone to get really guilty and down and out and view ourselves as being someone that must not be serving God the way I need to. If so, God will be meeting my financial needs, if you believe that. Or, along with that, you get frustrated at God, almost like, well, God, I thought because I'm obeying you and I'm doing these things for you, you're supposed to meet my financial need and you're not, so now I'm upset with you. See, it can, it can lead to those two areas. But I did want to point out that God can, amen, God can meet our needs. And he can meet our financial needs. 
But there's nothing the Bible says that he will always bless us financially just because we obey him. Because Paul keeps going. And, and, and you know, if, if it were true what, what the TV evangelist says, as we look at Paul's life here in a, in a moment, you would uh, you'd think, according to some TV evangelists you hear, you would think if, if you were obeying God or if Paul's obeying God, you'd have plenty of money, drive an expensive luxury car, and live in a mansion. If you believe what they, what they try to say. Second thing is this this morning. We can rejoice, of course, during the times so where God meets our needs, but we can also rejoice during times of need, whether our needs are met or not. Whether our needs are met or not met, we can still rejoice during those times also. Second part of verse 10 the Bible says this, uh, and we're really just reading through verse 12. It says verse 13. But you, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. So this is the Apostle Paul. We'll remind you who we're talking about. The one that God used to write more of the New Testament than anyone else. The one that went around planting churches all over Asia Minor. This is the Apostle Paul saying, hey, my life was not always easy. I did not always have all of my needs met. I, I did not always receive a financial blessing because I was obeying God. Paul knew these Philippian believers had been concerned, but maybe they just had not had the opportunity. That's the way he put it, to, to minister to him in some way. Now, that might have been because of their own condition. Maybe the Philippian church was struggling financially in that point in time. But here's probably the main reason why they had not been able to minister to him like maybe they would have wanted to. Paul, obedient Paul, same guy that's obeying God really, really well. We've all agreed Paul's a great servant of God. Amen? Obedient servant of God. Paul, at the time he's writing this letter, was in prison. Now, I'm sorry, guys, but to me, that messes a little bit with the prosperity gospel. That, that messes just a little bit with if you're going to have the mentality that if you obey God, that he's going to you know, financially bless you and take care of everything and, and you're not going to have any rough time at all and you'll have plenty of finances and plenty of health and things are going to go smooth in, in your life. Paul being in prison kind of messes with that theology a little bit. And especially when we think about why Paul's in prison. Because Paul isn't in prison because necessarily he's broken the law. Paul's in prison because he had been serving God. Because he had been serving Jesus. Because he was obedient to the gospel. Paul's in prison because even though the government told him to shut up, he said, no, I'm not going to shut up. I'm going to keep doing what I know I'm supposed to do. I'm going to keep standing for Christ and I'm going to keep sharing the gospel. That's why he's in prison. So if being obedient means everything goes well with your life, there's something wrong here with that theology because Paul himself, obedient Paul, is in prison at the time this takes place out. He's writing this letter. This obedience sold out for Jesus, the apostle Paul's in prison. He's not sitting in a wonderful house. He's not counting his bankroll. He's not looking at his jewelry. He's not riding around in a gold chariot that you would think he would have if the prosperity gospel works. Instead, he suffered in prison for the sake of Christ. Now, I want you to see three things here. I want you to understand, first of all, Paul wasn't bitter. He's not complaining. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. He mentions need, but see, that's not the point that he's writing about. We'll get to the point in a moment. But he, he's not complaining to them because of his situation. 
Even though physically he might have had a shortfall, he, he might have been in, in, in need, he might have been feeling uh, inferior in his condition, in his situation in, in life, he might have had a deficit taking place, he might have been destitute, he, he surely was the, the worst for other times in his life because he's in prison. But, but he's not complaining, he's not bitter about it, that's not why he's writing. Instead, I think this is what he's writing about. Paul has learned an important lesson as a Christian, and that lesson is the lesson of contentment. Of being content in whatever circumstance he found himself in. He said, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. Paul had learned whether things were bad or good, whether he was full or hungry, whether the bottom had fallen out or he was abounded, whether he had abundance or little. Paul had discovered the secret, and we'll talk about the word secret in a few minutes, but he had discovered the, the secret of contentment. And ultimately, we'll see in a moment when we get to verse 13, your contentment is based upon trust in Christ, not where you are in your circumstances. Paul said this. We'll look at some of the words that was used there in, in, the, in the Greek New Testament. The word learn means to learn in, in any way possible, which for Paul, because the way he's saying this, he learned it experientially. In other words, Paul had been through some things in his life. He'd been through good and bad. He'd been through things in his life to teach him that he needed to learn how to be content. He, he said, I've, I've learned in whatever... And the word whatever is kind of implied. It's not literally there in, in the Greek. The word in denotes a fixed position. We saw it a minute ago. He, he's saying that I have, I have learned in a fixed position of whatever situation I am to be content. Now, it's strange kind of the way that's structured there in the Greek too because the phrase situation I am means I exist and to be means to exist. So he's literally saying he learned to be content however he existed in whatever situation he was existing in, in that moment. The word he used for content means I've learned to be self-complacent. I've learned to be contented. The, the root word means to raise a barrier up. And I think maybe that gives us a good illustration because most of the time when you raise a barrier up, you're doing it maybe for protective reasons. Some of you maybe been in a bad relationship and you had to put a barrier up between you and the other person for your own benefit. Armies will construct forts and things like that and have barriers that are up to kind of give a, a, a degree of protection. There are corporations and government buildings and things like that that erect barriers to keep someone from just being able to drive a vehicle all the way up to the building with a bomb present or maybe barriers that can be electronically brought up all of a sudden, but it's a barrier trying to provide a degree of protection. So, so Paul is saying this, the, the, the fact about you and I being content gives us a barrier in our lives against discontentment. And, and I think ultimately he's given us a barrier against the enemy because there's nothing more the enemy, Satan, would love for you and I as Christians to feel day to day throughout our lives is discontentment. Because if we're going around discontent and having a pity party and worrying about ourselves all the time, we're not going to be functioning at the level we need to as Christians. We're not going to be worshiping at the level we need to, uh, to be focused upon Jesus because we're allowing discontentment to creep into our lives. So Paul is saying that he had learned through whatever his circumstances might be to, to be content, to raise this barrier up to where he can say, hey, I, I'm content. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it feels like. I don't care what I'm going through in my life. I, I have erected this barrier of contentment to where I can feel content no matter how bad it might be. I want you to notice a description of Paul's life circumstances also. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't complaining. He learned the secret of contentment. We're going to talk more about that secret, as I said, in a moment. But I want you to notice the description that Paul gives of his life circumstances to make it really clear in our minds that it wasn't always nice days that Paul faced. 
Here's what he says. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. The word, the phrase that he uses for I know means to know by seeing. It wasn't some vague concept for Paul. He had been through things to where he had learned by seeing, by experiencing bad days and good days. Of experiencing plenty and hunger. Of experiencing having all that he needed in poverty. He said, I know how to be. I mean, and that literally means both. In other words, I, I, I've seen it from both sides. I, I, I've seen that. I, 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 know, I know both. How to be brought low. And the word means to be depressed. It means to be humiliated in condition or heart. And that can happen to us in both of those realms. We can be depressed or humiliated based on the external conditions of life, but we can also let it happen inside our heart, can't we? But Paul said, I've experienced it both ways, whether it be external things that I faced or internal things that I'm wrestling with. He said, I understand what it is to be brought low, to be humiliated, to, to, to be abased, to be uh, depressed in my circumstances or my disposition, to get to the point that I, I'm considered based by other people, looked down upon by other people, cast down, or maybe even I myself feel like I'm of low degree or estate. Because of the things he faced in his life, he, he said, I, I, I've, I've faced that. I face that type of depression. And most of us understand what that's like, don't we? And, and he said, I know, the same word again, how to abound. In other words, I've been through it, I've seen it, I've experienced it. I, I know how to abound. And it's a really neat word uh, in, in the Greek that literally means to superabound. It's kind of like there's not a limit you establish on it. Paul said, I know how to abound. I've, I've had times in my life, he said, where I've superabounded in, in, in quantity or in quality. And it was just like it was in excess. It was even more than I needed. I, I abounded in having more. Uh, it was a, a time where things were better. I had enough and, and, and even more than I needed to spare. The root word means to be superabundant in the sense of beyond or superior. Paul's saying, look, I've, I've had times that I've been brought low, but I've had times that, that, man, things have really, really been good in my life. But go back to the reason we're preaching this message today. Because some people will try to teach you if you obey God, you always, always, always receive financial blessing. If that's true, tell me what's wrong with Paul. If that's true, tell me why he's facing these circumstances where he said, oh yeah, I've had it good, but I've, but I've had, it, had it bad also. He said, I know how to abound. And then he goes on and says, in any and every circumstance. Now, if you don't like that, I'm sorry. I looked it up and the word means any and every circumstance. <laughs> it means any, every, the whole Everywhere in all things will be another way to translate that. Literally, you know, the, the, everything that he experienced, he, he said, I, in whatever the experience might be, whatever the circumstance might be, he said, I have, have learned, and he's going to talk about the, the secret of contentment. The first two times he, he talked about learn, it was a different word than, than we have before us now in this text. The phrase I have learned here means to be initiated. It means by implication to, to someone to teach you or instruct you. The root word means to, to shut the mouth. It's a secret or a mystery. It, it gives the idea of silence imposed by initiation into religious rites or secret society rites. It was a word that was used to describe in Greek culture when people would join a secret society. Well, we're going to let you in our secret society, but the stuff we tell you, you can't tell nobody else unless they're part of the secret society. He, he was being, you know, like someone being sworn to secrecy. Well, we'll, we'll let you in our club, but you can't tell people outside of our club the things that we, that we have inside of our club. And if you do, you'll get in trouble if you start sell, telling the secrets to people outside our secret society.
But what I think Paul is saying is this. The secret society that he had been inducted into, initiated into, was the society of those who had figured out how to be content in their lives. To where he, he'd figured out what it is, the, the, the secret, the need of being content, and no matter what situation he was facing himself at that time. Paul had been initiated to know this, to know that obedience does not always lead to financial blessings. He had been initiated into a very exclusive club that Christians need to belong to, and that is how to be content in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. He said, I knew the secret of having plenty or being hungry, of being in abundance or being in need. The word for plenty or being full, depending on your translation, means to fodder or gorge yourself with food. You ever been guilty of that? Wait, 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 wait. Y'all are asleep and not listening to a thing I said, and if y'all are, shame on you because you had an extra hour of sleep last night. Or you are lying. How many have ever gorged and ate more than you ought to eat? Yeah. Used to be pretty easy when I was young. I can remember our home church, uh, even when uh, Becky and I just, you know, got married. So I was like uh, 20, 21, you know, right through there. And they would have a, a homecoming and things. I can remember being able to go fill my plate up three times overflow and over the top needed sideboards and everything else. And it not bother me one bit. About the time I turned 30, that started to change a little bit. About the time I turned 40, it started to change a whole lot. And if I still tried to do that, I needed to go lay down and I felt like I was going to die somewhere. When, when I hit, hit 50, it, it started to, to, to change more, you know, because of health reasons and, and everything like that. I, you know, most of you that have been around here very long, about five years ago or so, I weighed about 40 pounds more than I weigh now. And all uh, my sugar started going up. So about the time now that I have turned 60, I, I can't do it at all. You know, my doctor tells me if I do, you know, it's bad, uh, bad trouble. So I can't fodder myself, you know, like that any, uh, anymore. If I do, I pay for it, you know, bad. But we've all done that. Paul said there have been times in his life, that's what he had done. I had plenty to eat. But he said there's also times that I had hunger. There are also times that I had this uh, pinching toil in my stomach. This, this pining in where I was famished, I was craving, I was, I was hungry, I was starving, I was poor. And some of you, not all of you, but some of you know what that's like. Because you grew up maybe in those circumstances. Once again, we're talking about the Apostle Paul, the obedient Apostle Paul. If God always blesses you, Every way you could possibly be blessed because of your obedience. And why would Paul say, I, I knew what it was like to be starving? Paul said, I knew what it was like to have abundance. That idea of superabounding again, to be in ex excess. But he said, I understand what it was to be in, in need, where I just didn't have enough. And, and it, was, it was a destitute time in, in my life. Let me read another passage of Scripture to you that also explains a self-description that Paul gives of his life. Now, Paul's kind of contrasting himself here with some other people that are kind of bragging uh, about their Christian faith. And Paul says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. And he said, I'm talking like a madman. In other words, Paul said, I probably maybe shouldn't be saying this, but by the way, it made it into the Bible, so evidently it was okay for him to say it. Amen? Because that means the Holy Spirit inspired it. He said, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, 
Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. By the way, they left him for dead after they stoned him. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Now, that's what Paul said his life was about. What he had experienced in his life. So this idea that people want to propagate and throw out there that obedience to God always brings financial blessing is true Then I'll give you two options. There's either something wrong with Paul or there's something wrong with their theology and I'm banking on their theology being messed up. For someone to say that obedience always brings financial blessings. I believe Paul is implying he rejoiced in the Lord no matter what. Third thing. As we try and answer this, uh, or show the error of this phrase about obedience always brings financial blessings. Third thing Paul says in verse 13, I think, that he's telling us here is this. We can rejoice during all times if we rely upon the strength of God. We can rejoice during all times, the bad times and the good times, the hungry times, the full times, all the stuff he just talked about. The times being in prison, the times he wasn't in prison. We can rejoice at all times if we're relying upon the strength of Christ, the strength of God. Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He had a can-do type attitude because of his relationship with God. He said, I have the ability or I can exercise the force, I can be able, I can have the strength that I need, I can have the forcefulness that I need, the ability, the power, the strength that I need in all things, facing all things, whatever they are. It's that word that we we saw several times in this message. It means everything, all of it. I can face all those things that he just talked about, the bad, the good, the, the, the hungry, the starving, Superabounding or being in poverty. Paul said, I, I can face all things through. And that's a primary preposition that denotes that fixed position we talked about earlier. I didn't give you the full definition of it earlier, but it literally means to have a fixed position of place, time, or state. It implies instrumentality or a relation of rest. Apply that to what Paul is saying. Paul said, I can do all things. It doesn't matter what I'm facing, what my circumstances are telling me, as long as I have a fixed relation of rest upon Jesus, as long as I have a fixed relation of rest upon God, I can make it through whatever it is I'm having to face, whether it's good or bad, whether it's ugly or nice, I can make it through it all because of who, and that's literally got the definite article there, which I love because Paul is saying this, I can make it through all things because of the him, not just anybody, not Paul himself, not because of the Philippian believers, but the him, the refers to Christ being the him. He's the only one, the main one, the him that we need to trust in if we're going to make it through all things. That's what Paul is saying. If, I, if I'm trusting him who strengthens me, who gives me the, the power, he empowers me, he enables me, increases my strength, he makes me strong. It comes from the form, some of the words got dropped off there, but it comes from the form of the Greek word that we get our word dynamite or, or dynamo from or dynamic. So think about it in those terms. 
We as believers can make it through all things, whether it's good or whether it's bad, as long as Jesus is the dynamite in our life, as long as Jesus is the dynamic in our life, as long as he is a dynamo in our life, as long as we are trusted in him, we can make it through all things. Amen? But some people will take this verse and turn it into something that it's not. Paul doesn't say, I can own all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not a prosperity gospel he's proclaiming. He's saying, I can do all things. I can do all things through he who strengthens me. I've got the ability, I've got the power, I can do all things, no matter whether it's good or whether it's bad. I have the ability, the strength, the force to face all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's saying all the stuff he's just talked about, I can face times of wealth and poverty, I can face times of comfort and pain, I can face times of being full or starving, I can be content no matter what situation I'm facing because Christ gives me the strength I need for whatever the situation might be. You can translate it like this. I can do all things through Christ who energizes me. I like that. J.B. Phillips, in his translation of the, of the New Testament, put it like this. I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives in me. Think about that. I'm ready for anything. Can I ask you what shows a grander faith in Christ? If the prosperity gospel were always true, and if we're obeying God, and that means he always financially blesses us, if that were to be always true, and we had everything we needed, you see, it's easy. It's easy to serve God when things are like that. It'd be easy for people to see why, why we can go around smiling, why we can go around rejoicing if everything was always going perfect for us. That's why it displays the larger faith that God displayed through the life of the Apostle Paul. When we have faith in Him, no matter what it is, whether it's good times, bad times, whether I'm starving or full, whether I'm rich or poor, if I rejoice in Him anyway, it doesn't matter what my circumstances are, if I rejoice in Him anyway, whatever I'm facing, that's what communicates a big faith in Jesus to people around us. For us to display that, that type of faith. The Bible does not teach if you obey God, you always get financial blessings. You can look at many characters in the Bible. I chose Paul today, and I think he's a pretty good example of it based on the verses we looked at today that the Bible doesn't teach. Obedience always brings financial blessing. It can, but not always. The Bible does teach this, though, I think. The Bible does teach we can have joy in our hearts no matter what we're facing. The Bible does teach we can rejoice no matter if we're going through good times or bad times. We can rejoice whether it's a, a time we're hungry or a time we're starving. We can be content and rejoice at all times if we'll rely upon strength in Christ, not upon our circumstances. And I think we get the opinion that Paul really meant this and he really meant what he said when we remember he wrote it in prison. He wrote it in prison. Much of the prosperity gospel, I'm afraid, is designed to make people feel good about their faith in Jesus. It's designed for them to feel like, well, if I come to Jesus, that means, man, everything's going to be great in my life, and I have plenty of money. And if that were true, that would be one thing. But when it's not true, and people are being deluded into believing it is true. Here's the tragedy of what happens. In their own personal experience, when it doesn't work out in their life, that their obedience to God brought financial blessing in their life, you know what happens many times? 
They get upset, frustrated with God in church, and they turn their back and they walk away. Because there either must be something wrong with God, there must be something wrong with the Bible, there must be something wrong with me. Because what they told me I would experience isn't what I'm experiencing. You see, that's why it's important that we, that we talk about things like this, that we talk about misconceptions that people have, and we look to see what the Bible really has to say. To be honest with you, prosperity has hurt Christians, caused more adversity for them than poverty ever has. Look at the attitude that's communicated in Revelation chapter 3, which, by the way, is an attitude of a church. I'm rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Man, that'll get you in trouble every time. When the truth of the matter is, without Christ, we're poor. <laughs> without Christ, we're nothing. And we have need of everything without Christ because He is our everything. If you don't have Christ, you can't say, oh, you don't have a need of anything. To the Christian message isn't, well, I don't have need of everything or anything at all. The Christian message is, I have need of Christ. I have need of the difference He can make in my life. No matter how good things are, no matter how bad things are. I had the need of trusting in him. Paul can handle times that, that, that feel like success and times that felt like failure because he relied upon Christ for strength. If Paul's theology wasn't right, if he didn't understand things correctly, Paul many times in his life would have been thinking, man, I'm in prison right now, or I'm hungry right now, or I, I don't have a lot of the needs I have right now being met in my life. He would have been second-guessing his own obedience to God. If his theology were wrong. That's why we need to be sure we have the right theology. That we rely upon Christ for our strength. That you and I rely upon Christ for our strength. Let's pray. Father, we pray you guard us against error. Father, we pray you help us to honestly look at the Scriptures when we see things being presented on television and other places that seems to promise that if we'll obey and if we'll send money in and things like that, that, that we're guaranteed a financial blessing. Father, you can do that because you're God if you so desire. But Father, we recognize, according to Paul's life and others, it's not a mathematical equation to where we can manipulate you. Father, help us to understand we, we ought to rejoice when you meet our needs, but we ought to rejoice whether our needs are being met or not. Help us to rejoice because our strength is in you. The reason for our joy is not found in our circumstances. It's not found in our bank account. It's not found in, in the things we own. Father, I, uh, the reason for our joy is Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. Father, I pray right now, if there's anyone gathered together in this worship service that's attending today that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, I pray you'd help them see that's the first step they need to take. Help them to admit to you that they're a sinner and they can't save themselves. And help them to trust completely in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Father, I pray for those today that might be facing adversity in their lives and difficulty in their lives. Whether it's their health or their finances. And Father, I pray if there are people here that just need to come and pray. For their circumstances or maybe the circumstances of a friend. Father, I, I pray you just give them the, the confidence they need just to trust you in this moment. Father, help us all to recognize that our joy and our relationship with you isn't true just because things are good in our lives. It's true because of your promise. It's true that you're with us through the good times and the bad. That you'll never forsake us and that you'll never leave us. 
But Father, as Christians right now, during this time of invitation, help us to, to rejoice in the fact that we can have joy no matter what it is we're facing, whatever we might ever go through in our lives. We can still have reason for joy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you don't need, if you don't have Jesus as your Savior this morning, you need to understand something that God does provide blessing. But you see, He provides a spiritual blessing, and that spiritual blessing is much more important than the financial, physical blessings. He can do those things if He desires. But the spiritual blessing is something that lasts for all eternity. If you don't know Christ as your Savior this morning, you can trust in Jesus and you can receive a blessing that will never, ever leave you. You can receive a blessing that will last throughout all eternity if you'll trust in Christ. If you're a Christian that's been really discouraged and you're despondent today, and maybe you feel like you've been trying your best. And yet somehow it's just not working out the way you think it should. Maybe you've been told a lie by other people. It might not be that because you're obeying God, everything's going to go smooth in your life. But it can be this, because you're obeying God and you're in love with Jesus, you can rejoice no matter how bad it is. We invite you just to maybe reprogram your mind. Ask the Holy Spirit to do that. You might be facing difficult circumstances that are your fault because that can be true also. But it's not always true that it's your fault. Paul loved Jesus. He served Jesus, but he faced a lot of tragic things. Just listen to the Holy Spirit of God in this invitation. He compels you to move, to come forward in some way or to pray where you are. Maybe slip out and go pray with somebody you know has got a need. We invite you to do that. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.